Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Joni Harms, we've had 
Jim Jones. We've had Mary Kay. This week coming up on Saturday is Mr. Mike Blakely. So you want to be sure in, be sure and tune in to the living room sessions on Saturday at noon central standard time. And the month of May looks great for the artists that are going to be joining us for that. But right now we want to tell you about a great show we have today. We're excited to introduce our worldwide audience from Boulder, Montana, Bridget and Johnny Reedy. We are really looking forward with it. To talking with them and sharing their great music and then on saddle up america in the second hour we're going to rebroadcast a show with jim mcgarvey past national chairman of the backcountry horsemen of america and we'll be talking with the american endurance ride conferences vice president monica chapman so it's going to be a great two hours on the equestrian legacy radio network starting with a campfire cafe followed by Saddle Up America. But right now, let's take a listen to a great song from Bridget and Johnny from their CD, Next Go Round. It's called The Devil Ain't Lazy. We'll be right back to talk with Bridget and Johnny Reedy on the Campfire Cafe.
Devil Ain't Lazy from the CD Next Go Round. Bridget and Johnny Reedy are our very special guests today on the Campfire Cafe. Bridget has been performing since the age of two, and for the past seven years, she has been performing at the gathering in Elko, Nevada. Johnny has been performing since the age of zero, he told me before the show started, if you could believe that. But they are a very, very talented brother and sister duo, and you are just going to love their unique sound and family harmonies. We're going to find out more about them right now, so welcome to the show, Bridget and Johnny. Hi there, Gary. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So you guys are calling into the show today from Montana, and uh, I guess we're doing our part to social distance, aren't we? We're just doing just the right thing, aren't we? (laughs) We are being perfect. We're being perfect. So, Bridget, let's start out with you. Tell us a little bit about where you live, and uh, uh, you guys are ranchers, aren't you? Yeah, we live... um right between Twin Bridges and Whitehall, Montana. That's in southwest Montana. We live on a pretty small piece right now, but we have horses and a sweet little border collie dog. We live in a tiny 600-square-foot bunkhouse. All of us, all four of us and our dogs sleep in one room. The only other room is the kitchen. We're currently calling in from the kitchen. (laughs) How cool is that? How cool is that? Well, how did you get started with your music at two years of age? Well, to start out, my dad is a singer-songwriter poet and plays guitar. And from my absolute earliest, actually before I was even born, he would sing to me. And I always wanted to be with him, and I wanted to sing. I started yodeling because he yodeled. You'd yodel together. I'd go beautiful, cool places with him, and he'd stand me up on a stool, and I'd yodel for folks because I loved people. And from the <laughs> earliest age, was the quickest way to the soul, the easiest, fastest connection to people in a really legitimate way. Well, that's great. So, Johnny, now I was kidding about you starting at age zero, but when did you get started <laughs> with your music? Well, I think I was about eight when I started picking up the guitar and I was really, really inspired by Bridget, who was already performing with Dad, and I just really wanted to do that, and I really, um, I became serious for about the last four years, and have been performing for maybe the last two, but, because I always wanted to, because me and my sister, we have this really great relationship, so I always wanted to just kind of be with her, so if she was performing, I wanted to perform with her, so I really, really loved it so much. (laughs) Oh, that is too cool. Well, now I have, uh, I've had uh, three children. I had uh, uh, one son and daughter that were fairly close in age, maybe separated by three years. And the younger child is a boy. He used to just love to pester his sister to death. Does that ever happen (laughs) with you? No. Mostly. Well, no, actually. I probably pester him more. We love each other so much. We have the most unique and glorious relationship that um, he's my best friend in the world, and I really feel like he feels that way about me. And we spend so much time together. 
we've both been homeschooled our whole lives, so it's a good thing we get along because we're on top of each other 24 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, this is a very unique sound that I think the two of you have. Uh, Bridget, who are your earlier musical influences? Well, um, my dad really is my first and biggest musical influence. But as far as people out in the world, I've always been exposed to a huge variety of music from different eras and genres and nationalities. And I've always been really drawn to older music. So I love stuff from the 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, Joe Venuti and Eddie Lang, uh, Stefan Grappelli and Django Reinhardt, a lot of those old blues guys, Lonnie Johnson, etc., and then big band stuff, um, Louis Jordan. And in the cowboy music department, I was really great friends with um, the late Glenn Orland, who was an incredibly important influence to me. And he was one of the last ties to the really old cowboy music of the Trail Drive era. And we sang together, and I learned a lot from him. And... Ramblin' Jack Elliott and people that are still alive. I love Hot Club of Cowtown. I'm actually pretty good right. friends with Alonzo James. And, of course, Bob Wills and Texas Playboys are hugely influential. Wow, wow. Well, that's a little unusual for someone your age to have been influenced by such, a, such an era as you have. And I think people are going to be able to tell that in the music that we're going to be sharing with them today. And uh, and Johnny, who have been your musical influences besides your dad, and I'm sure Bridget. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I really love dad's guitaring and stuff, but um, but really, I've had a lot of the same influences as my sister, and especially she mentioned um, Django Reinhardt, this great gypsy jazz and swing guitarist from France. And um, I've also studied under another guitarist, Mike Dowling who is just, he's a really, really good guitarist. And so I've been very influenced by them. Um, the Farr Brothers were really, really great. They were this Texas band that were just absolutely wonderful. And they were siblings too, actually. They were um, brothers and oh, they just played the best jazz and swing, but they had absolutely the cowboy feel to it still. So that was really, I love that. <laughs> Well, that is, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So it's, it's interesting when I like to talk to artists about who their influences are, uh, it always goes back to a generation or two back. And, uh, but I don't think I've talked to anybody whose influences go back as far as you two. So I think that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Well, I want to get to another song right quickly. It's one called I Want You to Be My Baby. Let's take a listen to that, and we're going to come back and talk with Bridget and Johnny Reedy today on the Campfire Cafe. Will you? Will you? Will you please? Will you please? 
pull up a bucket and a notepad, and usually I have my guitar or banjo um, for chords, and I watch the clothes go around and get ideas. How about that? How about that? I've never had anybody tell me that before, so this is all new. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a fantastic song. It's called Sleep Though the Sun is Shining, so let's take a listen to that and come back and talk more with Bridget and Johnny, and we're going to find out about his writing because the two of them write together. You're listening to the Campfire Cafe. Our very special guests today are Bridget and Johnny Reedy. Now 
the sun is shining, Bridget and Johnny Reedy. That's a song that Bridget wrote, and that is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely Thank beautiful Thank you so song. much. What inspired you to write this song? Well, I've never been one to sleep under any circumstances because life is too darn exciting. Um, <laughs> and especially as a kid, <laughs> especially as a little kid, um, up here in Montana, our summer days get very long, and the sun isn't going down until about 10. And for someone who already doesn't want to go to bed, the idea of lying in bed for two to three hours while the day is very much still going on outside was a point of contention. So um, that was the original inspiration for the song, and it became much more of a, a lullaby to ease that sort of a feeling and more sophisticated with age. Wow. Well, it's it's absolutely a beautiful song. Beautiful song. So, Johnny, I know that you're writing with your sister. There's some co-writes I think that we're going to get to during the show as we progress with it. But uh, when did you start writing? Well, I haven't really written too much on my own, but I've really loved, especially in these last two years or so, collaborating with Bridget because it's been so great. She'll come to me with this idea and she'll have the lyrics and then we can collaborate and I can come up with the chords and, you know, harmonies and, oh, it's been really, really great in this collaboration. So I love that really. Well, that is terrific. And by the way, I just want to compliment you on your guitar playing. As a matter of fact, I think they call you Johnny guitar Reedy. So you're really great. (laughs) You are really great. Oh, yeah. You you're, you have such a variety in the music that's on this CD, and I'll just go ahead and mention right now, there are 18 songs on Next Go Around. And, uh, and, and such a variety. You've got, you've got some originals on there. You've got music that um, have been, been written by other people. You've got a lot of traditional music that's on there. Bridget, how did you go about selecting the music for this particular CD project? Well, first of all, those 18 songs are already the winnowed version. I think we recorded about 25 and had to cut it down to 18 to be reasonable. The thing wow. is, Johnny and, I, Johnny and I have had such a blossoming musically, um, especially over this last year or so, and um, continuing to soak in so many different types of music and um, combine it with our voice here that um, this particular album, I wanted to kind of be a snapshot of this beautiful moment. I'm, I'm not in college yet. I'm still living with my family. We're having this incredible moment of our voices melding so beautifully, his age, my age, um, this, this sort of magical moment of collaboration and the sort of wild, all-encompassing nature of it. I really wanted to um, share that with the world and also as a time capsule for myself because I'm so excited and proud of what we're making right now. Well, it's a great CD, so I'm going to encourage people. We're going to tell them a little bit later how they can purchase the CD and, and any other music that you might have. But our next song is one called My Walking Stick, and I found it very interesting that this was a song written by Irving Berlin. How did you find this song? Well, actually, um, the version that we know is 
the Boswell sisters version. This was a great example of our collaboration going both ways because Johnny was studying with the great guitarist Mike Dowling, and he learned this song, which and he learned the Boswell sisters version. And Johnny was, you know, enraptured by this crazy old tune and brought it to me, but I'd never heard the song before. And just by him singing it and doing his version, we made our arrangement of it. And it was only, it was like a year later that I actually heard a recording of it. So that was a great um, Johnny bringing something to the collaboration tape there. <laughs> Way to go, Johnny. You did well. <laughs> you did well. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to my walking stick. We'll be back in a moment on the Campfire Cafe.
That is my walking stick, Bridget and Johnny Reedy's version of that great song, and you just did a beautiful job on that. Beautiful job on that. So, oh, I sure appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. So I just want to ask you, and I know that you've been going to Elko forever, and, and Johnny has been going while he was in the womb, I think he told me before the show started. But um, how did it feel to be invited to be a performer at Elko for the first time, Bridget? Well, it was an absolutely incredible honor and definitely a dream. Surprisingly, I'd already been performing on stage at Elko for years um, as a guest with poets and musicians with, you know, for example, like Wally McRae, um, Paul Zarzyski. Actually, um, I sang with Cor Blund when I was about four years old um, at the G3 Bar Theater, and my dad was a featured performer there one year and had me as a guest multiple times. So I felt very much at home on stage at Elko, but of course it was the the greatest honor to be a featured performer there. And every every year that I have been has been a huge surprise, and I'm so thankful. Well, it is quite an honor to be invited to perform at Elko. And uh, and I know a lot of folks that haven't gotten their invitation yet and would sure love to. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So, you know, Elko is a little bit different from a lot of the gatherings. They have such a unique blend of music there. And um, just some great stuff. So I, I enjoy finding artists that have performed at Elko. We had Cor Blund on two or three weeks ago. And what a hoot he was to have on the show. A lot of fun. Absolutely. We actually caught part of his show, too. Well, good, 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 good. Well, there's another beautiful song that I'm going to get to right now. It's a traditional song. Uh, It's called Pretty Fade Mare. I'm going to get this out in just a minute. Pretty Fair Maid in the Garden. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great song. It's another beautiful job that you guys did on this one. So let's take a listen to that and come back and talk more with Bridget and Johnny.
on his finger. She wore a golden ring. And when she saw that band shining, brand new song, her heart did sing. And he threw his arms all around her. She sees game for one, two, three. But I'm your true. talented with all of these instruments well fiddle was my first and still is my greatest love and I started playing the fiddle at about five years old um, the banjo is the most recent development of all um, I discovered um, that a tenor banjo which um, only has four strings is tuned to the same interval as a fiddle so it was an incredibly easy mental process to cross over to playing the tenor banjo and besides, it fits in with my more vintage aesthetic anyway, because the tenor banjo was a jazz-era instrument. Before recording got really good, um, banjos were used because they could be heard over the horns in the early jazz recordings. So it fit right into my love of that old music, and it also crosses over with Irish traditions. So it, I got both sides on that. And then guitar um, showed up mostly as a songwriting tool um, and sort of has been slowly building in the background throughout the last maybe six years. Wow. Wow. Well, you're, you're great at all of those. And, uh, so Johnny and I know you play guitar. Are you working on any other instruments or is the guitar your love? Well, I can pretty much noodle around on other things with, um, frets usually I can, but, um, I've also, when I can sometimes sneak it away from her, I noodle around on Bridget's banjo, and it's very, very fun. Because one thing she does, chords. Yes, I'm so jealous. My, I, I come from the melody side of things, and he comes from the chord side of things. So he has no idea about my, my tenor banjo, and yet he goes in there and starts playing this incredible hot jazz with bar chords. And I'm just like, oh, you punk kid, you can't play banjo. <laughs> I uh, guess. Well, there was an old saying that banjo players are just never respected. But I got to tell you, uh, whenever I hear a band, I love the banjo. And, of course, I love the fiddle. It just seems to make everything work so well for most forms of music. So you guys do a fantastic job with that. You wrote a song together called Ask Him to Dance. How did this song come I about? 
Well, I, I have always loved to dance, and it started at Elko, actually. They have a great dance on Friday and Saturday night, and I dance with my dad. Um, but now I still love to dance, but I dance out in the world, and I always look to find cool little pockets of um, young people that are alike and uh, in this Western culture we're few and far between, but I, I still get the chance. So it was inspired by dancing this last year out in the world, which has been pretty fun. I, I wrote the lyrics, and then I had a, an idea of how I wanted it to go, but I had no chord progression and pretty much no melody. And I came to Johnny loving this concept, and immediately um, we started, he found these really cool, funky chords, and he came up with that catchy little lick that ends up making the whole song. So, <laughs> so that was a great collaboration. So I was coming in with the concept and the lyrics. I wrote the melody as he was coming up with chords. It was one of these rapid-fire things where we just sat down um, on the ends of our beds, like a foot apart from each other, and for about an hour and a half, the song just emerged as we shot back and forth ideas. Oh, wow. Well, it's mm-hmm. another great... Go ahead, Johnny. Oh, it's a great example, really, of our collaboration. Just really perfect sort of version of that. So, yeah. Well, it is. The song is Ask Him to Dance. It is from the CD Next Go Round. Yeah, what a lovely day. 
to Dance, another great song from the CD, Nick's Go-Around. i got to ask this question. You're both very young. Uh, what are your plans for the future, Bridget? Would you like to continue in music, or what would you like to do? Well, music and poetry is my, my greatest passion in the world, and I'd love to be that 85-year-old old lady with a white braid just sawing away at the fiddle. Um, I, I want to continue this my entire life and to continue to grow as much as I can for as long as I can. As far as really um, tangible goals, everything's a little up in the air right now with the current climate, and it'll be interesting to see um, if and when live performance returns to the way it was. But I also have academic dreams. I'm a student at University of Montana Western. I'm an English major and I'm hoping to add a double major in natural horsemanship. Oh, wow. Wow. What about you, Johnny? Well, I think I'm pretty much in the same boat. I really just really love how I am, you know, right now. I mean, I don't think it could probably stay how it is because stuff is going to change, but I really love playing guitar, and I'm going to find out some way to really continue that, because I really, really love music. Yeah, and, well, I, and I hope, it feels so good. And yeah. So I really love that. Well, I hope you both continue, because you're absolutely fantastic. And uh, and just so much fun to listen to your music. So I know if when you're out performing, You've got to really appreciate the response from the crowds that are gathered to listen to you. And, and I hope these concerts and gatherings can start back up again pretty soon. So we've been kind of missing our live music. So that's that's something we have to look forward to. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of like you, Bridget. I think we're going to go into a new normal as we progress yeah. through these things. But uh, you wrote another song. I love going nowhere with you. So what was the thought behind that one, Bridget? There's actually a pretty specific um, start to that song, and it goes back to my incredible relationship with my dad, that um, beyond music, I no matter what he was doing, I always wanted to be with him, whether it was fencing, just walking around, even going to the dump in the old pickup truck. And on one of these <laughs> runs, he expressed to me how important it was to him our beautiful relationship of, of wanting to be together so much. And I said, you know, even in regards to going to the dump, I, I love going nowhere with you. That It doesn't even matter where we're going. I want to be there. And he told me to write that down because who knows how many years would go by, but that would turn into a good song. So a couple years ago, um, it finally did become a song, and I gave it to my dad as a gift. Oh, that's great. That had to be so special to him. And I think it's just a fantastic thing that you and Johnny have such a great relationship and you have such a great relationship with your family. But I guess you better have if you're going to be living in such close quarters together. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is her great song, Bridget and Johnny Reedy, I Love Going Nowhere With You.
My daughters had written a song like that for me. That would have been pretty cool. Well, it has been a quick hour, and the two of you have been such fantastic guests. Thank you so much for doing this today. Well, this was such a beautiful gift, Gary. I, I so enjoyed being on your show. Thank you. Yes, thank you, really, so much. Well, thank you. So I know everybody's going to want to be able to buy your music, so tell us where they can do that. Right now, the only available platform is on my website, which is BridgetReedy.com. That's B-R-I-T-I-D, Reedy, R-E-E-D-Y.com. And currently, it's just a physical CD. We don't have um, streaming available right now, but we're working on that, especially in the current climate. So soon there'll be ways to download and whatever. <laughs> well, that's great. But I tell you what, if you're like me, you'd rather have a physical CD and be able to listen to all of your great music. So you guys are absolutely fantastic. The music has been, been great. And uh, we're going to have to have you come back again. 
Oh, I'd sure love that. And I do agree with you about having a physical CD because then you also get that album artwork and that cool feel. I actually did all the artwork for this album um, myself in watercolor as well. So I'm proud of the whole package, and I'm so excited to share it. Well, it is absolutely great. And, again, you guys have been absolutely fantastic. We're going to close out this segment of the show with a song called Texas Cowboy. And, again, our very special guests today have been Bridget and Johnny Reedy. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, Gary. Here's one for our old buddy, Glenn Orland. All right, here we go. Thank you. 
in the days of my youth. Top horses, tough cowboys, were all that I knew then. Each one was tested and true. Chasing wild cattle through mesquite and thick choya, thorn dripping right through our hides. Brush popping cowboys, we hit that brush running and trust to our ponies and riders. Wild Texas cowboys riding for our brand, back in the days of my youth. Riding Skin burned deep by the sun On horses hot and leather Punching holes through the brush Spurring to our cow dogs on the run We roped them where we found them Tied off hard and fast Flip the rope, trip them to the ground A tough cow horse to hold them We'd bail from the saddle to wrap and who he tied him down Wild Texas cowboys riding for our brand Back in the days of my youth Riding with and roping We drug them from the brush Yeah, I once rode with the bed Mr. Jim McGarvey, past national chairman of Backcountry Horsemen of America, and he's brought a special guest along with him today, so we'll let him introduce her in just a moment. But Jim, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, Doing very good. Thank you, Gary. Glad to be here again. Always fun. It is always fun. And you have some fantastic guests with you every, every first Thursday, so... Tell us well, I know a lot of important people, and that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I think but I do. do. I do have uh, 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 Monica Chapman. Um, we go back not numbers of years, but a good while. Um, Monica is with the American Endurance Ride Conference, and, and we'll talk about that some more. And she is an official with the American Endurance Ride Conference, and I think um, Monica, I'm thinking back. We I know we met uh, maybe first at the American Horse Council's annual meetings in D.C., uh, but you've also been to the Backcountry Horsemen um, National Conventions, and uh, we were both at the International Trail Symposium last year um, and in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, so, Monica, glad you could join us today. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Good, thank you. And uh, uh, this is um, – we talk generally about trails, Um on the show, uh, sometimes strictly the horse, but uh, with the American Endurance Ride, it's about trails, of course, riding on trails, and it's about riders, but the, the emphasis is also equally on the horses, and I think it makes it such a commendable organization to learn about, and we, we hope to learn about it some more today. Uh, Monica, um, again, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, just an overview of what the American Endurance Ride Conference is about, what it tries to do, where does it? Yeah. Yeah, um, AERC was incorporated in 1972. Our home office is in Auburn, California, and we average around 5,000 members a year. The uh, What endurance riding is, is it's a long-distance equine event, which we ride 25 miles in 6 hours, 50 miles in 12 hours, or 24 hours to ride a 100-mile ride. So wow. it's a timed event. It's first across the finish line wins, but you have to go through a veterinary examination with your horse before the competition, approximately every 15 months during the competition and at the end of the competition. So horse welfare is of our utmost importance because they're, they're our buddies. We want to ride them for years to come, and so we don't want to do anything to hurt them. We have about, go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. Keep going. Yes, thank you. I was going to say, we have about 900 competitions throughout nine regions of the United States. Um, So we're nationwide, probably not Alaska and Hawaii, but um, in the continental United States, we have competitions in almost every state. Um, we probably uh, have the majority of our competitions tend to be on the West Coast and East Coast, but the middle part of the United States is well represented also. The, um, what, what, is, what is your position with the uh, – maybe a little bit of background of when you joined uh, uh, American Endurance Ride and when you enjoyed, joined and why and then what you're doing today for them? Okay. Um, I joined in 1995. I saw a program on TV, and I already had a horse that I was spending hours riding the back roads on the weekends already, and I thought, wow, you know, that's right up my alley. I'm not going to have to ride by myself. I can meet new people Um, and, you know, add in a lot of competition, which, you know, kind of made something fun out of it and so I uh, had moved to San Antonio Texas area and um, I asked my local veterinarians if they knew any endurance riders and they hooked me up with some people and 
here I am. I've been, uh, I have over 10,000 competition miles. Um, I am currently the vice president of the American Endurance Ride Conference, and I'm also the trails and land management um, co-chair of that committee. And that is um, how I ended up being chair of the trails committee is when I met Jim and Randy Rasmussen with BCHA. And um, Mm -hmm. and that's when I really got involved with trails. Um, Kansas, where I live now, had just got a BCHA chapter about six months to a year before I met Jim and Randy. And so that all you know, kind of went together really well. Mm-hmm. well that's, Jim, you did uh, something good. You did something good. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the um, uh, it's um, yeah, the the endurance ride folks at trails um, uh, are such an important portion of that. So much of their work. Uh, how do you pick them, or is there, or is there, uh, you know, how do you pick a trail that, to be an endurance ride? Uh, location okay so yes that can be tricky at times because just because there's a trail there doesn't mean it's suitable for an endurance ride Um, since we are a timed event you have to be able to do that trail you have to average depending on the amount of veterinary hold times you have during the competition, you usually need to average around five miles an hour to finish in time. Well, that's a trot. So if the trail is so technical, you have to walk the majority of it, then you're probably not going to use that trail for a competition. Now, that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that everything has to be a flat forest service road. Uh, You know, it's you just need trails that can have a combination you can spend some time cantering to make up for the times that you have to walk. Um, And that can be challenging. Um, And depending on where you live in the United States, in some parts of the United States, predominantly out west, they have, um, like for a 50-mile ride, they can do one great big 50-mile loop, and they can have vet exams in designated places out on that loop. But in some places like where I'm at around in Kansas, we don't have that much uh, not private property that allows Mm -hmm. us to have big loops. So many times we have a 10 mile loop and a 15 mile loop and you keep coming back into camp and sometimes you have to do them over. Um, Which, you know, that's not always the most desired choice but, you know, if you want to get a ride in, you do what you got to do. Right. and so it just depends on the part of the United States you're in. And um, so that is um, the way we kind of – sometimes, unfortunately, we don't get to do the most scenic trails for competitions because of mm-hmm. the time factor. But um, but that doesn't mean we can't ride them the rest of the time. just doesn't work out for competition. Right, well, I guess right. uh, I guess one of the important uh, components when you're selecting a location for competition is you got to have a camping or a, a sizable parking lot yes. to accommodate everybody and facilities and all that. Yes. Yes, I mean the um, and that is becoming one of our challenges. Um, you know, I've only been doing endurance since '95, 
but you talk to the people that have been doing it since the 70s and 80s, you know, people were using tents, a truck, and a two-horse trailer. Well, that didn't mm-hmm. take up near the room that the four-door dudes pulling the four-horse LQ trailer is taking up. And so, yes, there are some competitions, especially on Forest Service land, that the trails may be there, but there's not a campground or a big enough campground. Mm -hmm. And so then you spend time trying to find a private landowner that lives close enough to the trail that you can rent their property. You know, sometimes we have campgrounds that have hookups, but then other times you're just camped in somebody's pasture that they've mowed down. And then, you know, the event manager will bring in water trucks, you know, to have plenty of water. But then, you know, you're just kind of on your own for everything else. Um, So there's a wide variety of what you'll find. Um, Our national championships actually, in a few weeks, um, September 20th and 22nd at the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina, and so, you know, we have some rides that are in, like, these amazing properties, you know, like the Biltmore mm-hmm. Estate. Yes. Um, and then, you know, others are definitely more rough in it. Um, so it's just a very wide variety. Uh, Gary, have you ridden at the Biltmore? I have not. I've been to the Biltmore. I have a beautiful facility yeah. toward, toward the yeah, place. Yeah, I need to probably ridden. put it on your uh, bucket list. It's... Um, uh, we were talking, uh, you know, with uh, Craig Huffine's American Quarter Horse. Um, as I'm saying, the fastest I've ever ridden was along the French Broad there at the, you know, Biltmore on a horse. And uh, uh, but it's um, uh, then you you know you look up and see the great mansion and you ride into the woods. So um, uh, so you've you've had several rides over the years, haven't you, at the Biltmore, as I recall? Uh, yes, yes, they have two rides a year annually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did the ride out there 10 years ago. Yeah, it was 10 years ago. And then I'll be going back out there um, in a couple of weeks to do the national okay. championship. So it's the national championship so, there? Not, not yeah, just southeast, but the national? Okay. Yes, it's the wow. national championship. And um, last year our national championship was in Colorado, and then this year it's in, it's at the Biltmore. Now, so it'll now be, the campground. It'll be I mean, I can envision it in my head. Is it, is it the campground area and the along the river? Now, is that all suitable enough for y'all? You know, that that fits in for the program. Imagine it would. Yeah, uh, I mean, when I was there ten years ago, you were predominantly just parking in a grass parking lot, and right. then they had big tents set up for the dinners, and they have porta potties and. Um, stuff like that, but I don't know with it being the national championship if it's changed a little bit. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, but th- they always put on a great um, experience. And you know, the endurance riders were a pretty tough group. We were used to getting <laughs> dirty, so <laughs> it's like you know, there's many times you're on trail and a thunderstorm blows through, or I don't know, I've been hailed on, I've been in a dust storm, I've probably been in about everything because when you're on trail seven eight hours a day you can't predict what's going to happen so you know we don't require a lot of high maintenance facilities so that's good to know good to know now the um i mentioned it to uh to my nephew about the show this week and you know about and uh he's not a horse person about american endurance ride 
And uh, he said, so he's sort of like uh, the Iditarod, so in the <laughs> mushing with the dogs, but except that while it's a race, you don't race head to head or nose to tail. I mean, it's a timed event, right? And you go out at, at yeah. I mean, maybe you can tell us a little bit how that how that time. competition works. Yeah, you. Um, it's there are a number of different types of distance organizations out there. There's competitive trail. There's endurance. But in endurance, um, like a a local competition will usually have, for example, a 25 mile ride and a 50 mile ride. And usually in my part of the country, the 50-mile ride starts pretty much at daylight. And then the 25-mile ride may start 30 minutes or an hour later. But all the 50-mile competitors start at the same time. I mean, they Mm -hmm. basically just holler trails open, and then everybody takes off at whatever pace they choose. Um, You know, some people, if they have a young horse that gets excited real easy, um, they yeah. may wait a few minutes so they don't get caught up in the, you know, the excitement. Um, mm-hmm. It just depends on you and your horse. Um, but, and then, the, you know, like I said, the 25s then will all start 30 minutes later at the same time. And so, yeah, you may ride by yourself all day. You may ride with friends all day. You may have a race to the finish. Um, the Kind of the great thing I like about endurance is, it's a sport that you can cater it to what you want it to be. If you want to mm-hmm. run up front, then you can run up front. But, like, our point system, I always kind of ask people if they're NASCAR followers. And this would have been, I don't know how NASCAR does points anymore, but it used to be that the guy that won at the year end didn't necessarily have to win a lot of races. He just had right, to finish okay. up mm-hmm. high. Well, that's kind of the way our point systems work. Because if you're fair to your horse, you're not going to run for first place every two on a 50-mile ride. Because that tears the horse up. Unless you just have that exceptional athlete, which are very few and far between. And so for the people that maybe only have one competition horse, but they want to participate every two weeks or once a month, they may choose to ride at a much slower pace and finish. But, you know, if you finish every competition for every, you know, so many weeks during your ride season, because, you know, depending on where you live in the country, the ride seasons are different. You can still place well at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And many of our regions have regional clubs, and many of those regional clubs have their own points and award systems. Um, like one of my personal goals for myself is to finish a ride in every state. Oh. And I figure that goal is not going to tempt me to override my horse. And it's going to get me out and see parts of this beautiful country that I'll never see because I'm mm-hmm. not hiking 50 miles. It's like I just can't <laughs> hike that far. <laughs> but on the back of my horse, I can mm-hmm. see I can see parts of this beautiful, awesome nation on the back of my horse, and I don't think there's anything better to do. Well, but you know, there's – yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> And and so the point system within AERC, 
you can make it what you want it to be. You know, and you and we um, track your mileage. We track your horse mileage. What we are most coveted awards are called the Decade Team Awards, and that is you and your horse have to do at least one 50-mile ride for 10 years. So we oh, are really? promoting longevity of the horse. We <clears throat> want a rider to use that same horse for 10 years. It doesn't necessarily have to be 10 years in a row because maybe you have a mayor and you give her a year off to have a baby, or maybe your mm-hmm. horse has an injury. Um, but, you know, there are many horses that don't really get going in the sport until later in life. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they just mm-hmm. don't get going. But so we 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 love our winners. We love we love everybody. I mean, if you win, if you get disqualified because your horse came up lame or whatever, we just want everybody to have fun and enjoy themselves and to respect their horse's welfare. Oh, that's great. Um, you know, you made a point about uh, you know seeing the beautiful you know God's country in fifty states and all the states. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, the differences between walking, uh, say hiking, uh, mountain biking, or uh, riding a horse on the trails. Uh, with hiking, you do have to look like ten feet ahead or kind of down some to make sure you don't you know trip over root and stuff. And then with mountain biking, it's twenty to thirty feet ahead so you don't hit a rock or tree or something but with a horse you have the advantage that i don't think that those those folks uh i've been on a horse just to be able to ride at a walk or a trot and just look at god's country you know from about seven foot up or eight foot up off the ground and just looking out over everything it's a a different experience uh being on a horse and i don't i don't think everybody if you haven't been on a horse on a trail you don't appreciate that feeling of that what you what you experience so it's um, a good point, and I can envy you uh, doing the horsing. Uh, I think I've counted 12 states or something. I don't know, but um, uh, good. Well, let's. Um, the, how do you how do you prepare? Um, do you, do you mark the trails, or I mean, let's say you so say you've got your trail, you know, you, you're getting ready here on a Friday to have the the thing on Saturday. Do you have to do do stuff to the trails, or are markers on where to go, or? What do you have to do in that, that that way to keep everybody on the trail? Yeah, it's somewhat regional. Um, there are some rides where um, they you're required to bring a GPS, and they will download the GPS coordinates, and uh-huh. then they will check your GPS at the end of the day to make sure you followed it. Um, uh-huh. I have yet to experience those type of rides. They tend to be more out west. Um, in my part of the woods, they usually hang surveyor's tape. And um, and then, you know, you follow, like, say the trail has a 10-mile loop and a 15-mile loop. Well, one loop may be blue surveyor's tape and the other loop may be red. Um, if a trail has good enough permanent marking, then sometimes you only need to hang ribbons or, like, pie plates with directions at intersections. Um, you know, there's times you have to have spotters out on trail to make sure everybody does it right, you know, and they check in with each location. 
But yeah, usually the trails, depending on the land managers, they you have about a week ahead of time to hang up the ribbons and then a week afterwards to take them down. But that is all very individualized on the on the property. Um, you know, some places um, in Texas, for example, they do a lot of competitions on private ranches. And some of those um, places are more lenient because it's private property. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and they can do what they want. Um, but, yeah, the biggest thing is we have to find sustainable trails um, because, you know, with all the wacky weather in the last few years, and especially in parts of the country that have dirt and not rock and yeah. sand, you know, you can't have 50 horses out there tearing the trail up if it's raining. Um, and so you need to try to locate sustainable trails. And then we also are limited. And I know there's not a lot of wilderness property in the United States, but wilderness properties do not allow competition. So um, there, there are a few... Um, of our noteworthy rides that have, um, you know, because our organization was created before many of the states adopted the Wilderness Act, that Mm -hmm. our trails have had to be adjusted because the competition is no longer allowed in certain areas. Um, So, but but then on private property, that's usually not an issue. Monica, mm-hmm. uh, let, me, let me ask a couple of, uh, of, of questions. How sure. many folks do you usually have showing up for a competition? Well, that's very regional also. Um, you know, in I'm around the Kansas City area. I'm going to say if you have a total of 40 to 50 riders between all the distances, that's a good showing. Um, mm-hmm. When I compete in Texas a lot, they'll have more like 100 riders. Wow. Um, so it just kind of depends, um, you know, where the members live. because And some people are willing to drive farther than others. Um, right. It seems like you tend to have a big turnout around major metropolitan areas because, you know, there's more people. Um, right. But the very scenic rides you know, are very popular because of their scenery. And so they can get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of riders too. Many times those kind of real far out way in the middle of nowhere rides that are popular are popular because they're more than just one day of competition. They may have three days of competition. And so then that way it makes your your gas mile your gas money worth more because you may be driving farther but you're going to get to ride three days. Right. And so right. then that throws a different kink in your planning for how you're going to ride your horse because if you're going to ride the same horse three days, well you can't use them all up the first day. Or right. maybe you have two or three different horses and then you just alternate between them. Right. And that that brings up another question. How many days of competition do you usually have? Um, That's regional also. Um, In my area, it's usually just one, sometimes two, but in a lot of areas, they're all two-day rides, Friday and Saturday or Saturday and Sunday. Um, How is that that divided up? uh, I mean, do they do do, do 25 and 50 
both days or both days. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Now some I, there are some areas in the upper Midwest where they will do just a twenty-five the second day. It okay. kind of just depends on your um, membership. Because if you're not going to have any people enter the 50-mile ride the second day, then, you know, you don't want to pay your veterinarians and pay the extra fees for it. Mm-hmm. So right. your membership just kind of dictates what you plan. Right. And and uh, so I guess with the younger horses, a lot of times they'll start out with the 25-mile, the limited-distance rides, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the more experienced horses will do a 50-mile. Is that right? Yes, and we have um we've had introductory rides around for many years, but they're just really gaining in popularity the last three or four years. And those are usually ten to fifteen mile rides with no time limit. But the people still do the veterinary exam before and after the loop. So then okay. they kind of get to experience camping with their horse. They go through the veterinary exam. Horses exposed to other horses passing them or them passing horses. Um, because, you know, when you're moving at speed, sometimes, depending on where you live, it's hard to get a horse used to those things. Um, you may just not have the ability to find somewhere to practice that. Um, so the introductory rides are becoming very popular. And the age for the introductory rides and the limited distance rides or 25-mile rides is years old and you have to your horse has to be five years old to do a 50 mile ride and six years old to do a hundred mile ride okay all right how many veterinarians will you have on site um if if all the vet checks are in camp they usually average 21 vet per 20 to 25 riders okay. and, but if it's a competition that may have out of camp checks then they might have to hire more than that because of the way, you know, the logistics of how everything falls. Um, mm-hmm. And then they'll also usually, um, depending on the competition, uh, they'll have um, they'll have extra veterinarians in case you have a treatment issue or, um, you know, an accident or something. What are what are the vets? looking for what are the vets looking for okay they're usually um when you um like the night before they'll take their heart rate um to get their baseline pulse which is normally 28 to 40 depending on the horse and that's beats per minute and then um during the competition your veterinary exam or hold will not start until your pulse reaches, and it depends on the ride, but anywhere from 56, 60 up to 64 beats per minute, and that's told to you ahead of time. And then check your mucous membranes, your jugular refill, um, your, your pulse, your gut sounds, they're supposed to be checking for all four quadrants of butt, gut sounds. And then there's um, muscle tone, anal tone, um, and then they do a lameness exam. You have to trot out in a straight line 125 feet and then turn around and trot back. And um, 
And so if your horse is considered a grade three lame, you will be pulled from the competition. Okay. Um, which that is that is lame at a trot and a, a consistent lameness in a straight line. But many riders, if their horse, if they know their horse is off, even if it's inconsistently, many riders just go ahead and pull out a competition. They don't they don't want to make it yep. worse. Gotcha. Now gotcha. sometimes you lose a shoe, and then you'll put on an easy boot, and then you can go on out. So it, sometimes it depends on the situation. Okay. Can they reshoe a horse? Yeah, if there's somebody there. Okay. All right. I have All had right. that well, done at a few rides. Yeah, <laughs> I started to better have better have a farrier around too. Yeah. So that's yeah, great. The bigger rides will do that. Yeah. When uh let's let's say that you have 50 horses that are competing. Um what kind of percentages do you have on horses that that, that actually will compete? complete a race um so our hundred mile completions are and i'm not going to have this exactly but um the hundred mile competitions are usually um let's see around 50 percent ish um, really the uh yeah because I mean, think about how many steps a hundred miles. That's a lot of steps. Yeah. It is. I mean, there's more lameness disqualifications than metabolic disqualifications at rides, you know. um, And, you know, the thing that is, you know, too bad is they can't always tell us when you get up the morning of the ride, today's not my day. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. You know, some mm-hmm. horses can convey that better than others. You know, we've all had stoic horses, and then we've had horses that let you know everything. Um, the 25- and 50-mile horses have a much higher completion rate. Um, they, uh, mm-hmm. But uh, so much of it depends on terrain and weather. Um, you know, if you have, if it's, you know, 90 degrees and really high humidity, you know, there's, not going to be as apt to have um, as high of a completion rate, you know, because their heart rate won't recover. And then sometimes, to be honest, the riders don't recover. I mean, there's nobody there checking the riders. (laughs) I was going to ask that question. But, but yeah, that happens. There are many times you look at ride results because we have an option called for getting out of a ride called rider option. And that's purely on the rider. So, I mean, you'll sometimes look at ride results and say, gosh, they had a ton of rider options. And then you find out that, oh, it was really hot and humid and a bunch of people ended up not Mm -hmm. feeling well. Um, So, you know, you got to get the scoop on, well, what was the circumstances for that particular ride? Um, Yeah, yeah. But it's, in general, it's a good which leads to another question. How do you, as a rider, prepare to do a 50- or 100-mile competition? Well, you ride a lot. Um, and, and then for me, I, I have found the older I get, I'm 49 right now, that I need to do cardio of some time, kind for about an hour three times a week. 
Okay. Um, now, when I was younger, I, I, you know, I didn't need to do that at all. And everybody's different. But, um, you know, when you post 50 miles, yep. it, um, <laughs> you know, it'll wear you down. And then, and then you need to, if you're going to be doing hot and humid rides, you need to be riding in the heat and humidity. Because right. your body needs to adjust. Because right. you're not doing your horse any favors if you're all over the place. That's right. Um, That's right. Jim, I better get to work now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to come back. I want to come back in just a minute and and talk about the big race a little bit and uh, find out what we can find out about the Tevis Cup. And uh, that's a pretty big race. That is a pretty big yeah. race. But uh, before we do that, let's take a pause and listen to a song by Junie Fisher. It's called A Horse Like You. And if you haven't heard this one, Monica, you're going to like this one. This is A Horse Like You by Junie Fisher. Like you, 
Judy Fisher's a horse like you, and uh, <laughs> do you have a pretty good horse now, Monica? I have my soulmate right now. How he long is, have you had uh, your soulmate? Um, I guess I've had him for nine years now. Wow. He's a Korab. He's half Arab, half Arabian. I mean, he's half Arabian, half quarter horse. Um, and he came off the Rush Creek Ranch, was which is very well known endurance circles of producing endurance horses. And he turned out huge. He's almost 1,200 pounds, and he's 15-2, and you wow. never expect him to do endurance. But he... He's a blast. He's really a lot of fun. He's just a real kind horse. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, I just. And, and he doesn't care if you don't have your makeup on. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all. He's a good boy. Uh, no, they're not too judgmental, are they, Jim? Not no. too judgmental. Yeah. Hey, I, do they have uh, do they have a lot of folks that specialize in breeding and raising uh, uh, endurance horses? Um, there are some. It's not a, um, it's not a sport. It's kind of, we're kind of a niche sport. You know, we're right. not driven by breeders. Um, we end up, the, the predominant breed in endurance are Arabians, um, especially in the higher distances. You know, it's usually an Arabian or Arabian cross of some kind that excel at the 100-mile and 50-mile distances. There are definitely exceptions. And in the limited distance or 25-mile rides, you see every breed, and every breed has a great chance of doing well. Um, the What you get a lot, there are a few breeders, but you get a lot of off-the-track Arabians um, uh-huh. that aren't doing racing anymore for whatever reason. You get a lot of show horses that didn't work out in the show ring. Ever. Um, and you get a lot of just backyard horse owners. I mean, our our membership is predominantly backyard horse owners, and, you know, they just ride what they have. And they may right. breed their horse to something and then they ride that one. Um, we have a lot of people that rescue horses from kill pens and they do great. Oh, um, really? It's, great. it's a real, That's great. oh, yeah, it's a, oh, it is. It is. We are a very interesting group of people. <laughs> it's like you should come to a ride and wander around ride camp sometime and ask people about their horse because you'll probably hear everything. Oh, well, well. Well, I promised before the break that we would come back and talk a little bit about the Tevas. And so tell us a little bit about the history of the Tevas Cup. And I think you had some interesting things that happened just a couple months ago at the Tevas. Yeah. So this year's Tevas was the end of July. And um, they had. Where's it held? Where's it held? Um, Okay. It, it it starts in Truckee, California, which is in the Sierra Nevada mountains by Lake Tahoe, and they ride the Western States Trail down to Auburn, California. And um, so they had 149 starters in 
64 finishers, which is a lower wow. completion rate than normal. It was really low. Um, but they were also dealing with um, a lot of heat, and they were also dealing with smoke in the air from all the California wildfires. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they don't, you know, the horses couldn't really say, oh, yeah, it's the smoke. But, you know, the, there's some suspicion that the smoke wasn't helpful. Um, but it's a 100-mile race. They have 24 hours to finish it. And um, some of my favorite stories is the 13th place horse, P.L. Mercury, owned and ridden by Claire Godwin out of Virginia, is 27 and a half years old. Wow. He did it last year when he was 26 and a half years old, and I'm pretty sure he had done it three times prior to that. He's wow. a small Arabian. I think what I read is he's like 14, maybe 14 one hands. He didn't start endurance until he was 15 years old. And he he owns the record for the oldest horse to finish Tevis. And he got 13th wow. place. Wow. I mean, that wow. is, that yes. is awesome. And then the other thing, I mean, there's lots of awesome things. Like my fellow board member, Heather Reynolds, won the ride. Um, and the Pat, last year's Tevis winner, Tennessee Lane, she was in seventh place. But the eighth and ninth place horses are BLM Mustangs. Oh, wow. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty exciting. And one of them, M.M. Cody, ended up with the Best Condition Award for the Tevis, wow. um, which that's is great. basically – the horse they think is, you know, looks the best the next day to go out and ride again. And mm. um, so, I mean, you know, a shout out to the Mustangs. I mean, go out and yeah. get those Mustangs. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. tough. Um, but it was, a, it was a great, the Tevis, you know, started back in the 50s by Wendell Roby. Um, it's been going on pretty much continuously i know a few years ago they had to cancel it because of wildfires um i'm not the best historian for the tevis but uh, and i know last year they had to change the normal course of the trail because they had so much snow that they couldn't um get through one of the normal parts of trail because it was still snowed in and so they had to change the trail and so I think there's been issues like that on and off since the 50s. But um, it uh, it's, you know, been on numerous TV shows. It's world-renowned. The majority of the riders finish within the last hour of the allowed time limit, um, you know, which that's not normal. But it tells, you know, for most, most rides that's not normal, but it tells you how tough of a ride it is. Yeah, um, yeah. Are they riding 24 cool. hours straight through? Are they riding 24 hours straight well, through? Well, they have vet They have vet exams that they have to stop for a certain time period and let their horses eat. And they, you know, they eat. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, not like you get to, you know, you can stop for as long as you want. You know, it's a vet checks, but, you know, if you do, then you're probably not going to finish in time. 
Right, um, right. There's a lot of canyons to go up and down, and then um, riding in the dark slows many people down. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody's, you know, some people will canter through the trails in the dark, um, but then other people aren't going to, so. Right. Um, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a great competition. They have a great volunteer base. Um, you know, it's it's exciting for that part of the country. I mean, they look forward to it every year, and they have their own foundation, and they're an organization within themselves to put on that competition. They're, well, they're think, a well-oiled machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think anybody that's heard of, a, of endurance riding has heard of the Tebas. And uh, yeah. uh, I know I, I posted some video from the event this year, and, man, we had tons of people on our Equestrian uh, Legacy Radio website that were watching and and commenting on that. So, wow, that's that's quite a deal. And, it's, quite a, and what's also neat is um, a lot of our members will lease their horses to people from, like, the East Coast or foreign countries because it's, you know, either cost prohibited to get your horses there or, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard on a horse to travel them three days across the country. Um, yeah. You know, so that's cool. And then sometimes the people then will go back to the East Coast and do the East Coast rides on leased horses from someone else. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth in those kinds of things, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, I, I do want to mention uh, the Old Dominion, which is another 100-mile race. And uh, and where is that held? In Virginia, West Virginia? That is held, yeah. It's in Virginia, and it's always in June. And um, it's called the Beast from the East. <laughs> and, um, and so the Old Dominion... Um, they also, besides the 100-mile ride, offer 25- and 50-mile rides, um, you know, at the in, within the same weekend. Um, they don't get the um, same number of riders because besides having the mountains, because this is in the mountains in Virginia, they also have heat and humidity because it's in June. Right. But right. remember that 27 and a half. I told you about that finished Tevis. Right. Well, he also finished the Old Dominion in June, and he oh, got wow. sixth place there. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Can you believe that one month and then the next month? That's that's amazing. Yeah. And having to travel. Yeah, across he the had to drive. Yeah, I mean he's quite the horse. He's kind of my new horsey hero. <laughs> Mine too. Mine too. Yes. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, tell us again about your national championships. Give us the date for that. And, uh, again, that's at the Biltmore this year. But what are the dates for that? Okay. The 50-mile national championship is on Thursday, September 20th. And then the 100-mile national championship is on Saturday, September 22nd. And so, I mean, if you live in the area, come out and watch. Yeah. Do you have a lot of – do you have – do you have a lot of folks that come out just to watch the races? Um, or parts well, of? I mean, we're not a huge, yeah, we're not a huge spectator sport. It's kind of like watching a marathon. Um, right. You know, it's like, it's, you know, it's fun to watch the vet checks, the, with the start of the ride, the finish of the ride. 
Um, but yeah, there's not a ton of you know spectatorness, but it uh, but you know it'll give people an idea what it's about. And um, on the Friday between the two national championships, they're having a 25 mile ride um, that anybody can enter. And so then that's kind of, yeah, that way other people can come out and join in and be part of the fun. And, um, and, you know, and what's cool, what I really like about endurance is, you know, the 100-mile riders are just as happy for the 25-mile riders. You know, we all want everybody to excel. We all want horses to be happy and healthy. There isn't all this animosity between, oh, you're just a, uh, this rider or you're a that rider it's like man we mm-hmm. all just want to have fun and enjoy each other and um and i think that's why i have stayed so interested in this organization for so long is it's as a friend of mine this is her tribe her tribe right. of people and it's like <laughs> and i totally feel the same way this is my tribe i mean these are mm-hmm. people that get me mm-hmm. and uh, yeah great so but the Biltmore would be a great place to come watch because, you know, there's other stuff to do, too. You can always go to the winery for a while and then come back and watch <laughs> yeah. some more. I'll, I'll drink to that, Jim, won't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now, if I want to get involved in in the American Endurance Ride Conference, how can I do that? Well, it's awesome if you have a computer and the Internet to go to AERC.org. Oh, and then you can also call our office at 866-271-2372, and the ladies in the office will get you set right up. And we are having a new member special right now that if you join now, you get the rest of 2018 plus two, all of 2019 for 88.75. Oh, wow. Which is wow. a really good price because our normal yearly membership for an individual is $75. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. includes um, 12 issues of our Endurance News magazine, which is amazing. It's an amazing magazine. It's got articles every month on trails, education, research. Vet, the veterinarians are always writing articles for us. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very informational magazine. Um which we're very proud of. And, um, I mean, I think it's a magazine that would benefit people that didn't even do endurance because of all the knowledge that's in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just to be able to keep up with what's happening across the country would be pretty cool. So that's AERC.org is the website. Yes. Yes. AERC.org is the website. So jump on that and, and get involved in the, in the sport. I mean, it sounds to me like there's something for everybody. So uh, I'm looking for these newcomer things where I can do 10 or 15 miles. That would kind of fit me just about right. Yeah. Jim. <laughs> yes. You just need to come over and do an introductory ride. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. And the and the Biltmore would be a good place. You know, it's it's located uh, where there's a large population center. So if you'd like to see the Biltmore and go by the winery and enjoy some great competition that would be a place to be later on this month well monica you have been absolutely a great guest today very very mm-hmm. informative well, thank you 
Yeah, Jim, you done Thank good, you. my friend. You done good, <laughs> my friend. You, well, I knew yeah. it was Monica. Uh, she's a, a real pro at her work and and and, and loves her work in the horses. That's the kind of folks yeah. we have on here. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Backcountry Horsemen of America. Anything going on with BCHA that we need to know about? And give us your website. Well, it's uh, it's fairly quiet. Everybody's um, this time of year out in the forest with the trails and uh, keep them open. And we've got our fires out west, and we got our folks uh, that are in the fire vicinity helping there with packing in supplies and. Um, and do what they can because they're lo- losing a lot of uh, places where we've ridden. Cindy and I have ridden in Oregon. It's been burned out. And, and yeah. uh, you know, when we had um, uh, uh, the Huffsteaders, Phil and uh, Casey, on a couple of months ago uh, from Oregon, well, part of their area has got the three sisters we talked about on the show is completely burned. So it's um, it's getting rough out there. So I think a lot of our folks are working with that. And, but to get, get a hold of us, it's bcha.org. BCHA.org. Okay. All right. So another organization that you definitely need to get involved with and help to keep these trails open for all of these trail users that are out there. So this has been a fantastic show. Again, Monica, you have just been absolutely wonderful. And, uh, and again, Jim, you've done good. We want to invite you to join us again next Thursday for the Campfire Cafe that begins at noon central time, followed by Saddle Up America, starting immediately after. And uh, we've got a great show lined up for you next week, so please tell folks about Equestrian Legacy Radio and join us if you can. And uh, we remind you, as we always do, if you climb in the saddle to get ready for the ride on Equestrian Legacy Radio. Thanks for listening. We're going to close the show out with a great song from our good friend, Mary Kay. It's called Women and Horses. Thanks for listening. Women and horses Women and horses
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.